1: Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am honored to welcome Joy Spencer. She is Project Director of the Digital Food Marketing and Youth Initiative at the Center for Digital Democracy, Ms. Spencer is a committed consumer advocate with a background in community engagement around issues that affect the health specifically of the poor and communities of color, both internationally and domestically. She is committed to accessing quality health outcomes. She is interested in the impact of targeted digital food marketing on the privacy rights and nutritional food choices of youth. Ms. Spencer is well qualified. She studied economics at the College of William and Mary and received a master's in international educational development at Columbia University's Teachers College. Joy, welcome. Thank you. We recently met, and we met over this issue of digital marketing targeted specifically to children around food. And I've been very interested myself in media literacy and teaching children about ways in which they're targeted. But until I met you and until you told me about different privacy protection acts that we need and the level of digital marketing directed to children, I realized how little I knew. So you wrote... A wonderful blog for Moms Rising, and that's uh, www.momsrising.org. And you wrote a couple of blog posts, one of which was, How do we get rid of junk food marketing? And you spoke about, Hey, great, you know, we've made strides in public schools, but wait, there's more. And that is that children are targeted through digital avenues, all kinds of laptops, gaming devices, mobile phones. And then you've got some statistics that blew me away. of 5th graders have cell phones, 20% of 3rd graders have them, but almost 91% of middle schoolers have cell phones, and 77% of teens own their own phones and rely on them for text, talk, and Internet. Joy, we have a lot to cover. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited.
1: Joy, how did you get interested in food marketing through digital access?
0: Well, as you know, my background is mostly in HIV activism work. But a common thread that has always run through my work in the last couple of years has been my commitment to communities and and specifically communities as they are influenced by corporations in various forms. So much much of my HIV background was in policy and consumer advocacy around consumer access to essential medicines, specifically AIDS drugs, and we were really looking at how corporations, specifically pharma, impacted people's access to these medicines. And so through my networks, and and, and we're a small community of of activists who work on various issues, through my networks, I met the current executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy, who works on food marketing issues as well as online privacy issues. And I really was intrigued and became interested in in the work that, that he was doing and that the organization is doing. And it fits into the frame of just my general concern about how corporations impact and influence our lives, and in this case, about how food marketing corporations and other organizations that mine our personal data, the impact that that has on how we experience our lives, whether it be our food or access to information and all of those other other social and economic aspects. So it sort of flowed from my work, from HIV work, but just through my networks and, and people who already know is how I became interested. in. And just much like you, when I started reading about it and learning about it, I was surprised and shocked at how sophisticated the system is that targets children and that targets teens with junk food marketing and other types of marketing using something that we think should be easily available to all of us and that should be a free space, the internet and and the online world and the mobile world. These are not free spaces. These are places and spaces where corporations have a very active role in shaping the environment and shaping our youth in that sense. So, So those sort of, when I started learning about those things, I became more interested in the issue and got involved.
1: Well, you write in one of your Moms Rising blogs that kids today are the online generation, and I think that that's a really appropriate way to define them. My children are grown, and when they were younger, really the only thing they had or that I had as a parent to be cognizant of was the television set. And then, of course, as they grew older, there was the Internet, and we had to talk about ways in which you know predators are certainly out there. They're online. They're looking for them. But today, because of these screens that are so personalized, it's not like the whole family gathers around the cell phone and has a conversation about what's being broadcast. The individual child needs a heck of a lot of savvy to be able to recognize how they're being targeted and to be able to say thanks but no thanks. And my understanding from the American Academy of Pediatrics is that children really don't have those skills, certainly below the age of eight. So what can we do as parents and educators and adults who care about kids to protect them?
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up that study because that that is a question that parents and families should ask is it appropriate for their kids who are under 13 or under a certain age to be so immersed and engaged in these devices at these immersive levels, given what we know about how advertisers target kids? I think every parent needs to definitely think about it because the answer for their individual child and their individual family may be, no, this is not appropriate. Maybe my 8-year-old is not sophisticated enough for me to come up with any sort of education that's going to be helpful or useful to them. And so maybe I might need to say this is not appropriate until an- another age. Or if a parent does decide that they do want their child to, because there are benefits to children using these different devices, that they do want their child to be engaged with these screens at all these different levels, there definitely needs to be parental much more parental involvement and the the most important thing that any parent can do is to educate themselves and to be aware that this is a completely new environment. It's not like television advertising where there 's a thirty second ad spot, and it 's more passive, but these are very much interactive forms of advertising, so children are playing games which appear to them to be simply games, but they 're really advertising and they 're getting messages through that, and they 're engaging with that and not only that they 're sharing it with their friends there are ways to share it with their friends for these sort of things to go viral and children are feeling really connected with brands, brands who they have a who they feel that they have a connection with, and they, that they 're playing a part in. Creating brand messages, which a lot of, of food companies and like you know coca cola and other other food companies that have not who don't not just use Facebook but other social networking sites engage their children and other consumers in in participating in this creation of a brand identity, and that's completely different from watching an ad on t v where the brand image sort of comes from the company and comes to you as the individual and you either like it or you don't and you either buy the product or you you don't buy the product, but it's different when it's on your phone and you're interacting with it and you feel a a different sort of connection because there's this one-to-one sort of relationship that's being developed. So I think that the most important thing that parents can do is to realize that this is very different. It's not the same old. It's very different and they should be aware of what is it that they're not just what their child is seeing, but realizing that what their child is seeing has a different impact on them than just what we've seen in television. It's much more
1: interactive. Years ago, Michael Jacobson, who heads up the Center for Science and the Public Interest, I'll never forget something he said. He said, don't put a television set into your children's bedroom, because it's just like an advertiser knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, could I speak to your child alone for a few minutes, or really probably more like an hour at least, and To me, I liken what's going on with computers and these individual opportunities for children to interact one-on-one with a screen to that exact statement. I think it's important for parents to recognize that while there are advantages, certainly the disadvantage is that the marketer gets to talk to your child one-on-one without your intervention. And I know that in working on these topics for years, the industry always comes back with, well, it's the parental responsibility, right? It's up to the parents to say no. But we as parents know that it's not quite so easy. So, for example, all of your children's friends at school have this new gaming device or playing this game, and if your child isn't playing it too, then they are seen as being left out or the outsider. How do you help parents navigate this thorny environment?
0: I think that parents are, as you said, at a huge disadvantage. And I think it's really unfair that companies put back the onus on parents and say, well, you know, despite the fact that we spend $10 billion a year or more in food advertising and other types of advertising to your children and targeting them in all sorts of spheres, you as an individual parent should figure out how to fight this onslaught and protect your child in that environment, and it's not our responsibility. I think it's unfair for companies to say that but i think that things like the children's online privacy protection act are, are the only it's the only law in existence that gives parents the right to stand as gatekeepers to the type of personal information that companies get from kids and 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 that's a way to sort of stem the tide of these types of of advertising. And I think parents need to talk to other parents. Parents need to talk to talk um, and speak in schools, and there needs to be a, a deeper conversation that's going on, and parents need to band together and definitely give pushback to the companies and tell the companies that, no, this is not appropriate, and definitely do it in groups and in collaboration with organizations that are working on it. And there was something that you, you said earlier about the quote from CSPI, which is true, that advertisers are essentially being able to be alone with children to deliver their messages but that's not all that's going on because of the interactive nature of these ads children are actually speaking back mm. and talking back to advertisers and advertisers are able to draw from kids you know based on their likes and and the things that they're sharing and just the personal information that they're able to get kids to submit advertisers are able to get information about specific individual children, and then continue the conversation and deliver ads that are retargeted and more personalized back to them. So it's not just that the advertisers have this one-way access to kids to speak to them. Kids are actually speaking back, and that changes and shapes the type of advertising that advertisers can give back to them, and that's a completely new and different environment than what we've seen before.
1: That's right, and then that information that the children provide really is used almost against them in terms of targeting them with specific products that they probably don't need exactly you know one of the issues that i'm hoping that we're going to get to which you touched on is certainly this this idea that well there ought to be a law and there actually is a law that we're going to discuss which is the children's online privacy protection act or coppa why don't you tell us what this is exactly yes yeah, so the children's
0: online privacy protection act Uh, was passed by Congress in 1998, and uh, the Federal Trade Commission uh, developed rules um, for its provisions in 2000. And what the spirit of of COPPA is to put parents in charge and control the personal online information of children who are under 13. So this specifically only covers children who are 12 and under. And pretty much what coppa says is that before companies can collect personally identifiable information such as at the time which and that that and the definition of that at the time that coppa was passed was name, email address, home address and telephone number before companies can collect that from children in whatever way they're interacting with, with them through ads they must get verifiable parental consent and so in that way, parents stand as the gatekeepers to that type of information going out from their children who are under 13. Now, that was many years ago, and COPA, you know, a lot of technological and advances have been made since then. And so, there are many other ways in which companies are able to collect information, um, which go beyond names and address. Um, including things like IP address and cookies and all these sort of things and social networks. Facebook wasn't in existence then. So the issue is definitely much more complex today than it was when COPPA was passed. But the, the COPPA is designed to protect children's personal information and protect them from retargeted marketing and advertising by allowing parents to opt in and to decide who gets to have that information and who doesn't.
1: So the law was passed in 1998, so there is some protection at this point? Yes. Okay. So,
0: yes, there is some protection at this point.
1: Okay, but what we want to see is greater protection.
0: Yes, greater protection that reflects the change in the environment since then. The Internet is a completely different beast, as as we we've, we've discussed earlier, than it was in 1998. Mobile phones were not that um accessible to m- most people did not have as many mobile phones it wasn't as in an individual sort of accessory definitely children were not running around with mobile phones back then and and social media and 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 the virality of a number of different things on the internet was you know was completely non-existent at that time so there de- and, and and another another thing location marketing and location based Targeting was was completely unheard of in 1998, which is another thing which we need to consider. So things are definitely very different today than they were back then. Mm-hmm.
1: Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Joy Spencer. She is the Project Director of the Digital Food Marketing and Youth Initiative at the Center for Digital Democracy. And we are speaking specifically right now about how we can protect our children against online marketers who specifically, target and interact with our children. And I want to talk about the Federal Trade Commission in particular and how they are influenced, because I don't think there's a parent listening to this conversation who wouldn't say, yeah, there ought to be a law to protect kids. I mean, we're we're only talking about children up until the age of 12, for goodness sakes. Certainly, the role of government is often debated. You know, how much power should the government have to control what goes on in our lives? But I think most parents would agree that we would want government to step in because we can only do so much as parents. We need some help. We need some, some law or protection out there that will make it more difficult for our children to be targeted.
0: So the Federal Trade Commission has... Been what we think in our organization doing a, a good job so far in in terms of making sure that companies that have come in viola- come under violation under COPPA are held accountable. So we as an organization have filed a number of complaints over the years um, with the Federal Trade Commission as, as relates to certain companies that have either engaged in deceptive what we consider to be deceptive marketing practices. Or violate the COPPA by asking children under 13 for too much information, or you know, ask for information without verifiable con- parental consent. So we feel that in the that the Federal Trade Commission has, you know, given given what is available to them, done a good job of, of of protecting children. But they're obviously fighting an industry that is that it doesn't seem to me is fully committed to children's. Um, privacy, but but they're committed to their own profit and their their bottom line. So anything that the public can do to support the Federal Trade Commission's efforts and, and individual communities can also bring complaints against specific companies as it relates to COPPA um, to the Federal Trade Commission. I know it's definitely well received, but I think that, that we've, we as an organization have seen the Federal Trade Commission working hard uh, on behalf of children and the children's um, privacy and so that's something that we definitely want to see more of.
1: So what happens exactly? Does Congress then Congress hears messages from their funders for lack of a better word? So Congress goes back to the FTC and says we don't want those protections? Are you referring to COPPA and
0: what's happening yes. with it going forward? Yes. No, well well, COP, COPPA has COP, been approved The, the and it's. It's, it's not under any, you know, risk of at this point being repealed. What's currently um, happening right now is that the law was enacted with flexibilities within it and that allow the Federal Trade Commission to update its rules and that gives the Federal Trade Commission to interpret and reinterpret definitions to adjust to any sort of technological changes to, to make sure that the spirit of the law, which which Congress had passed is always adhered to. So COPPA is not something that's constantly being revisited or, or being re- de- debated itself, but the rules that the FTC uses to sort of implement COPPA are something that are, that that we have to look at every so often from time to time to make sure that they're reflective of the environment that we're in and also that they actually do what COPPA is designed to do which is to protect children under 13.
1: And so where do marketers come in? Where are they exerting their influence?
0: Marketers are, I guess, exerting their influence, I think to me at the at the point of Telling their narrative and, and putting out their story, which is that what they're providing is a valuable service, and what they're what they're doing is is a relevant service for the community at large, and especially for for children, and pretty much trying to present themselves as do-gooders, and that they're just trying to educate children or provide them with relevant advertising. But I think that that decision of whether what they're providing is helpful or useful should be decided by parents. So marketers are, are trying to make a profit and, and they're giving pushback and continue to give pushback to the Federal Trade Commission um, on any level where the Federal Trade Commission is calling into question their, their practices. But I think that organizations like ours and our allies and partners and definitely parents will continue to hold them Accountable and ask them to be held accountable for their marketing practices, which we most of them, especially when it comes to relates to children who are under thirteen, we just don't think that they're fair because children of um, young children of a certain age are just not ready or sophisticated enough to make the distinction between advertising and content and understanding when when companies are trying to persuade them to purchase or like a product.
1: Now, for parents who are concerned, what is our best avenue for communication? I definitely agree with the approach of not feeling like you're alone in this and joining with the organizations and signing up with groups like yours to stay informed. And I, I love when organizations send me action steps, for example, or an action alert, contact your congressman now, for example, or sign on to this letter. But to be most effective, do you think – that parents, in addition to joining a group, should go write a letter directly to the Federal Trade Commission, write a letter to their congressman, write a letter to the food companies that we find are going above and beyond what's simply telling children about a particular product?
0: I think all of those avenues are are viable and, and important. I think that they, they have the most effect and most impact when they're done in large groups and numbers. So whether an, uh, a, a set of parents are, are, are complaining to a, a company, you know, if you can definitely get a large group of parents to band together either through an association or just a, any other sort of community group so that, so that companies know that parents are aware, parents are watching, parents are not, you know, taking a passive view on this, the parents know their rights and know their rights to protect their children, and that they're watching companies and going to hold companies accountable, I think that that's definitely an important thing for parents parents to do and, and to also speak to the FTC and let the FTC know that parents are watching and, and are interested and want them to continue this work. I think that any time that people in any you know community and group who are affected by an issue Speak up and speak up in a united voice about it, things will change. And and that's something that we've been hoping to encourage in our work. We, one of the greatest things that we want to do is to create a critical mass, which is why I wrote the blog, which is why we talk about the issue as much as possible, is that we know that there isn't a lot of awareness about the issue, but as people learn more and get themselves educated and also sort of take a look at what is going on. Within their own personal lives, and compare that with what the research is that's going on out there, and realize how they're also affected and impacted. That there is a lot that they can do, and that maybe they will, they communities and parents will come up with new solutions and other approaches, which I would not think up of working in, at an organizational level. And there's definitely space and room for all of that. But there definitely is a critical need for more people to be involved in this. Both becoming aware of the issue and what's going on and get educating themselves and becoming engaged in some sort of way or fashion, whether it's through channels that currently exist or in people creating their own channels.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the statistics that I found um, absolutely mind-blowing, and just to help parents understand the kind of Goliath we're up against, is that children are basically the targets of more than $1.2 trillion dollars a year. And of course, that includes, that goes beyond food. That goes, you know, that looks at toys and clothing and, and the whole gamut. But I don't even think that we can get our arms around $1.2 trillion to really understand the scope and power of that in terms of influencing our kids. And one of the other issues that had been brought up, I think, in your blog and certainly online about these topics is this idea of neuromarketing. Where the sophistication of marketing has become such that uh, marketers know which messages and which music and which colors and and the timing of different frames that children see influence influence their emotions which also drive their their conversations with their parents and their their ultimately their purchasing power
0: yeah and 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 I'm 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 not so sure about the I'm I'm not as clear on your 1.2 trillion number. I I do know that I've heard that number as relates to that's the number that's sort of the buying power that mm-hmm. kids and tweens have to the tune of 1.2 trillion a year. So that means that that's sort of like the amount of money that either kids spend directly on or that they spend indirectly through their parents, which is a reason why marketers are sort of salivating. At the mouth, at at ch- at kids, at the market, because they do have a big influence and can contribute a lot. But there there is a lot of money that's directed at children to, in billions of dollars, about ten billion dollars a year from just food and beverage and um, companies alone that are directed towards kids. And so there's a lot that that's coming at kids and that's coming at parents. And for people to think about what it is that they can do about in that environment, it can be quite quite overwhelming.
1: Joy, um, tell yep. me something. With just one minute left, where can we ask parents to go or where can we direct parents to learn more about these issues and get involved?
0: They can definitely visit our website. We're at democraticmedia.org. They can definitely shoot me an email. I'm at joyspencerdemocraticmedia.org. We are definitely open to speaking with parents. There are a number of other um, organizations that work on this issue who we partner with and who I would be happy to put them in in touch with them as well. I I think that parents getting educated and and connecting with organizations is definitely an important starting point. So I definitely want to put myself out and our organization out there, making ourselves accessible and available to parents to continue this conversation, to continue this dialogue, and see how we can move forward, because we definitely think it's time for movement Specifically for parents' movement around this issue.
1: Joy, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Listeners, we've been speaking with Joy Spencer. She is the Project Director of the Digital Food Marketing and Youth Initiative at the Center for Digital Democracy based in Washington, D.C., and we will provide websites for you to get more information, but simply www.democraticmedia.org will get you to the site to learn more about COPPA and get some of these numbers. I want to remind our listeners, too, that Food Luth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Joy, thank you for being involved in this work, and thank you for bringing this topic to our listeners.
0: Thank you for having me.